I don't know that I need to preach after that. That'll preach. That'll preach all day long. Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, thank you for this season. Thank you for your son Jesus, our wonderful counselor, the everlasting God. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son in our place. Thank you for this season of hope. God, we praise you today. And Lord, our prayer this morning is in light of your Son and in light of this season, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and our minds that we could be more like you. So in this season, help us to be the men and women of God, the followers of Jesus Christ that you call us to be. We thank you, Lord. And we pray all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. This is not how they imagined it would be. When they had received the news, they imagined that at the birth they would be surrounded by a beautiful palace that their son would lay in a linen-lined crib. They imagined that there would be people coming and singing of His glory. They imagined that they would be surrounded by people lifting Him up and caring for Him. And yet there they sat, watching their son laying in a feeding trough. The last place you would want to have a baby, and yet here's where they were. They didn't understand it in the moment. How they could have received an announcement about their son being the Almighty God, the greatest baby ever born. And yet he was born in a stable. But his mom would look back at the end of his life. She would see him on the cross. And she would look back at the moment of his birth and realize that that stable was exactly where he was meant to be born. Today we're going to be talking about the birth of Jesus. So I want you to take your Bibles or your apps, whatever you read on, and I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2. The book of Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, feel free to grab one of the Bibles in the back of the pew. Uh, You're going to look for the New Testament. So if you're not familiar with where Luke is at, actually just turn to the table of contents. There are two major sections in the Bible. There's Old Testament and New Testament. Luke is in the New Testament and it is the third book, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So we're going to be finding our passage today in Luke chapter 2. Now as you're turning there, let me kind of do a recap of where we've been. Uh, A few weeks ago, we we studied about how Mary, the mother of Jesus, had received an announcement from an angel that she was going to be pregnant. She was going to give birth to the Son of God. He was going to be called Almighty. He was going to become or, or be called the Son of the Everlasting God. And yet here in Luke chapter 2, we find Mary and Joseph, her soon-to-be husband, in the least likely place for the mother of the king to be. And so, 
Read with me Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says this, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. Verse 4, Now Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He pledged to be, to be married to him and expected a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, this is an interesting passage. Uh, let me give you some background here first. Reason why they went to Bethlehem was the governor ha had issued a decree that a census be taken. Now the decree was coming from Quirinius, but we know from historical documentation that it actually came from Augustus Caesar, the emperor of Rome. And the command was that everyone of all of the Roman Empire had to go and register uh, for a census. Basically, the Caesar wanted to be able to count his people so that he could count his taxes. This was for tax purposes. And so, D uh, Joseph and Mary were ordered, basically, to go to their ancestral town. That's how it was organized back then. So imagine today, if you move to a different town, what's one of the first things you have to do? You have to go change the address on your driver's license, right? Now, all of us, when we move from one town to the other, the thing we most look forward to is going to the DMV and changing our address, right? It's such a joyous place. It's a place of hope. Basically, Bethlehem at this particular time is an entire citywide DMV. This was not a trip that Joseph and Mary looked forward to, I guarantee it. This was a difficult journey. First off, Mary's pregnant, and women, ladies, if you've been pregnant, traveling long distance by foot is not your idea of a good idea, right? So Mary and Joseph, while she, she had to have been at least past the three-month mark, because we know that she met, uh, visited her cousin Elizabeth for at least three months of the early part of her pregnancy. So Mary, pregnant, has to travel by foot from the northern part of her country down to the southern part to the town of Bethlehem, which again had become basically a giant city of registration. Imagine standing in line because every descendant of David in the entire country is in town getting registered at the same time. Now, we don't know why, but they decided to stay. Uh, there are assumptions that they decided to stay because, remember a few weeks ago when we talked about uh, Mary and Joseph, they weren't technically married. They were still betrothed, which was a form of engagement back in this day and time. So for her to be pregnant while not married was very scandalous. So there are some scholars that believe that they stayed behind so that they could have the baby and not deal with the scandal of people knowing that they weren't married yet. One way or the other, they stayed. And they end up 
getting to the point of the birth of Jesus. And because the entire town is flooded with people at this moment, there's no place for them to give birth. And the only option, the only shelter available was a stable. Now, if you've ever been on a ranch, you know that a stable is not exactly the cleanest place in town. And yet that's where Jesus is born. Now, why Bethlehem? Why is Bethlehem so significant for us as followers of Christ? Well, 400 years before the birth of Jesus, a, a prophet named Micah predicted, and this is in Micah 5, uh, chap- uh, chapter 5, verse 2, he prophesied that the king would be born there. And here's what it says. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Everybody back in that day and time knew that Bethlehem was going to be the birthplace of the Messiah. And now God orchestrates through a foreign power, orchestrates Mary and Joseph moving to Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecy of Micah 5, chapter 5, verse 2. Now it's interesting, a little side note, the word Bethlehem actually means house of bread. It's interesting that the bread from heaven, the bread of life, would be born in the city called house of bread. Isn't that fascinating? So they're there because of business. They're there not because they want to go there, but because they're forced to go there. He's born, he's laid in a manger. We use the term manger. Basically, it was a feeding trough. Uh, Most of them, you see the the depictions uh, that you see in in, uh, uh, nativities. Uh, And if you come see us at our living nativity, that's going to be on the 20th, 21st, and 22nd, just out here on our lawn, you're going to see a pretty accurate description, a depiction of what it may have been like. Uh, The shelter was not closed in. It was probably not a house uh, or a building that was closed on all sides, although it could have been. But we do know that what he was laid in was a feeding trough, a small wooden box that was used to feed animals. Now, ladies, for a moment, identify with me here. If you're a mom, think back to when your baby was born. Did you look for the dirtiest place to let your baby sleep? No. Most people go out and buy very expensive bassinets or cribs or beds for their babies, don't they? And in this moment, the king of kings, the most mighty and powerful person ever born, the son of God himself is laid in the dirtiest place that someone could have found to lay a baby. Now why, why in the world would God do this? This is not a place for a child, let alone a place for a king. Why would God do it this way? You see, Jesus came for humble beginnings. And let me explain why. This is my big idea this morning. I want you to hear this clearly. Our humanity needs His humility. Our humanity. Think about our culture today. 
Think about how our culture operates and how we think that we're right even if we have no proof of that. Imagine the world that we live in today and the the fighting and the hate and the pride that goes on constantly. Our pride, our humanity desperately needs this type of humility. We're so full of ourselves all the time, aren't we? We are. We're human. That's, That's who we are. We always look out for ourselves unless we intentionally divert ourselves away from doing that. We are always looking out for number one. And we as a human people, we as mankind, need His humility. Uh, Matthew Henry, who was a a great theologian, he he wrote this big commentary, if you've ever uh, studied commentaries and and studies on the Bible. He wrote this about it. He says, He well knew how unwilling we are to to be mean... Blah, sorry... He well knew how unwilling we are to be meanly lodged, clothed, or fed. How we desire to have our children decorated and indulged. How apt the poor are to envy the rich and how prone the rich to disdain the poor. But we by faith view the Son of God being made man and lying in a manger. Our vanity, ambition, and envy are checked. We cannot, with this object rightly before us, seek great things for ourselves or our children. It's big words to basically say this. The humility of Jesus' birth keeps our pride at bay. The King, the only person who has ever been born on this earth that deserved to be born in a palace was born in a stable. And that should keep our pride in check all the time. He was king, not born in a palace, but born in a stable. His bed was not a linen-filled, decorated bassinet, but a trough that animals ate out of. If we go and look in Philippians chapter 2, it says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You want to know what humility is? This is humility. Jesus came to this earth to save us. Did we deserve it? Did we earn it? No. As a matter of fact, we've done everything in our power as the human race to not deserve God's grace and forgiveness. And yet Jesus gave it anyway. You see, Jesus was and is the Son of God. This is not some person that was randomly born and God lifted up. This was the eternal Son of God. He has always existed If you go and read John chapter 1, you know that Jesus was actually part of the creating force of the universe. Jesus has always been around. And he chose to take his perfect existence in heaven. Imagine for a moment, if you lived in a perfect place where there was no pain, no sorrow, you never got sick, you never got uncomfortable, you lived in perfection. That was Jesus' existence. In heaven. Not only that, he was living in a perfect existence 
and he was worshipped. He sat on a throne in a perfect place while angels sang his praises. And he chose to leave that perfect place and to be born as a baby here on this earth in a stable. Imagine for a moment, talk about two extremes, perfect place where you're worshipped to being born in a stable. That's humility. Why did Jesus do it? Because we all have broken God's law. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of God's glory according to the book of Romans. And because we've all sinned and we've all fallen short, we needed someone to come along and take away, cleanse us from the sins that we've committed so that we could have a relationship with God. And through that relationship, we could go to heaven. Jesus did that for us. Jesus, living in a perfect place, came to this earth as a baby in a manger, in a stable. Lived a perfect, sinless life. And at the end of his life, despite the fact that he had never committed even one sin, he was convicted and he died on a cross. And through that death, your sins and my sins can be forgiven. He is the one and only way to be saved from sin. He died that death so that we could be saved. And on the third day after that death, he rose from the grave and later he ascended and he sits right now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he calls all of us, he calls every person to step into that life-changing relationship with him so that your life can be changed And so that you can be saved and you one day can be in that perfect place with him. That's why Jesus was born in a stable. That's why Jesus was laid in a manger. So that we could know that the king of kings came not to rule over us, but to serve and die for us. That's why this story in Luke chapter 2, that's why this is important to us today. It teaches us the true humility of the King of Kings. The humility that we should all strive for. So what is your call today? In the light of the humility of Jesus, the sacrifice that He paid for every single one of us, what is His call? If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you've never stepped into that life-changing relationship with Him, your call is to begin that process. To start a life-changing relationship and to live in the life-changing hope of Jesus. And if you've got questions about that, if you're wondering what that looks like, myself, Pastor Josh, Pastor Keith, and many others would love to have that conversation with you after service. Come grab one of us. We want to talk to you about that. Followers of Jesus, if you follow Jesus and you're sitting here today, the humility of our King should change your life altogether. That humility, that humble beginning should be the basis for you understanding how to treat others. What did Philippians chapter 2 say? Do not put others above yourself, but put the interests of others before yourself. That's humility. This Christmas season, what should we be doing as followers of Jesus 
except looking out for the interest of others, loving others, meeting the needs of those around us. So where do others fall on your priority list? Do your opinions matter more than the people you love? Does your comfort come before the people who are around you? Maybe better put, what gets in the way of putting others before yourself like Jesus did for you? Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much for today. And Lord, we ultimately thank you for this season. God, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you that he was willing to humble himself and come to this earth to leave a perfect existence in heaven, to come down here to live a humble life for our sake. Help us to live in that relationship with him and help us through that relationship to treat others as more important than ourselves, to live a life where we're looking out for the interests of others so that we can show others the humility of the King, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for this season. And we pray that this season would be a time that our lives would be changed by the hope of Jesus. We lift all this up to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our loving Savior. Amen.